The Veritas Radio Network is guaranteed the right to offend, annoy, agitate, shout, harass, and entertain. Kind of like the cultural sewage served up on Bravo or CMT, only it's on 24 hours a day, except Sundays. When the truth gets you angry and you throw your smartphone, remember, no one is forcing you to listen to the truth on the Veritas Radio Network. You can't handle the truth. You're doing that of your own free will. That's what makes this country great and any gay marriage pointless. That's offensive. So there isn't much you can do about it, Chowderhead. I'm trying to think, but nothing happens. Grab a book, take a vow, and conform your mind to reality. Reality. Otherwise, you're just another Judas-inspired Karl Marx wannabe. And your children will steal your credit card number to buy tickets to the Miley Cyrus Twerkers Ball. I came in like a wrecking Are you ready? Let's get it on. On the Veritas Radio Network's Crusade. Good evening and welcome to the Crusade Channel, King Size Truth from Radio Size Speakers. And tonight's Dehomene Classroom and Chat Room. We are live. Tonight is Wednesday, the 3rd of May, 2017. We will be discussing Dehomene. Lecture number 11 out of 34, I believe. If you missed any of the previous 10 discussions, they are all on my website at MikeChurch, M-I-K-E-C-H-U-R-C-H.com. And uh, uh, the menu at the top of the page, if you click the little icon there that says, uh, or a little menu item that says uh, Catholicism, and then underneath that, Philosophia Paranis, Click that, that'll take you directly to the Dahomey category listing. And uh, scroll down a bit, and you will see it. You can uh, get to the main page, which says uh, Dahomey Classroom and Chatroom homepage. And from there, you can sign up for the podcast, which will deliver every episode of uh, our discussion here to you via a podcast RSS link, and it'll update itself. Or you can tune in here every Wednesday night. We are here 6 to 7 p.m. 
Uh, we will now go, and uh, we are live tonight, as a matter of fact. If you uh, go to MikeChurch.com and uh, follow the chain that I just uh, gave to you, that will take you directly to the, the, uh, the, uh, the page where the chat room is embedded. And uh, we are now going to go live to uh, Brother Andre Marie of the St. Benedict Center, who is uh, live in Richmond, New Hampshire. And we will begin our discussion of Dahomene, lecture number 11. Brother, last week we kind of got out of here in a bit of a hurry, but I think we made it all the way to the end of 10. Uh, you know, I, I seem to recall that I said we'd pick up at a certain point where we hadn't finished off yet, and I, <laughs> and I can't remember what point that was. It was um, yeah, it was close to the end of 10. If, yeah, yeah. If you, uh, if I had the notes from uh, for ten, I could tell you exactly where it was. Uh, but we were almost, uh, we were almost to the end, and uh, I, I think that we we might have had one paragraph or two paragraphs from the notes because you got to remember the notes aren't exactly and precise. I mean, it was Brother Lawrence's notes. Um, so I think we made it through the bulk of it. Why don't we go ahead and, if you're ready, pick up on uh, the homine number 11, and perhaps if someone, or if you want to throw the uh, number 10 up in the uh, the link for number 10 up in the Dropbox, we could uh, we, we, we could get to that. And uh, actually, I think we could probably get to it just by going backwards on 11 and see if there's anything that we need to make up. Okay, well, I'll just start off with the, the beginning of 11 here. Um, I'm throwing a bunch of notes a bunch of links up into the chat room. I've already put the notes for lecture 11. I, by the way, I, let, let me explain. I'm now getting from Brother Lawrence two sets of what we might call notes. He makes a smaller thing that's one or two pages, depending on the length of the class, or, or not the length, but the, the um, density, you might say, of the material. And... Um, and then he also makes longer notes. Now, he explained to me that what he does is he listens to the thing over and over, and he takes copious notes and sort of edits them. And then he edits that down a lot and distills it into the handout. So the shorter thing, which we're calling the handout, um, is, uh, is one or two pages. The longer thing is usually about something like five pages. It used to be he only sent me the handouts. Now he's sending me the notes, too. So I'm making them both available. Um, hopefully it'll be, it'll be helpful, helpful to you. Um, oh, hey, Jennifer, Jennifer Smathers has said where we left off last time. And I, I think I can make a, a quick point about that, okay. that before we keep going. But let me, let me finish explaining the, the, the other links that I just threw up. Uh, tonight, we're going to talk about um, gratu uh, well, okay, I wonder if we should talk about peacemakers. Okay, um, if we let, why don't we do that now? Okay. We were talking about the Beatitudes last class, or last, last, Wednesday, last week, we were talking about the Beatitudes, and we were talking about the peacemakers, I think we left off on the peacemakers, um, and St. St. Thomas, now I'm, I'm going, I don't have any notes to go by here, so I'm flying uh, on the seat of my tunic here, but St. Thomas Aquinas makes the point that peacemakers are those who um, not only have peace within themselves, which, by the way, that's not easy. I mean, being, being quote-unquote, at peace 
is not a simple state of contentedness based upon sloth. I mean, the last person who is peaceful is the slothful man. Um, uh, true peace is the tranquility of order, the tranquillitas ordinis, as defined by St. Augustine, which means that the hierarchy which exists inside of us as individuals uh, is properly ordered. So if, there's a, if, there's, if, the, if the peace that we have in us is the tranquility of order, that means that our passions are ordered to reason and our reason is ordered to, to grace and to, and, to, and to God's law, both the natural law and the revealed law. And that's a, that's a tall order, as, as you can understand if you, if you get a grasp of what all that means. So, but the peacemaker isn't just at peace himself. Over and above that, um, he ha he has to have a very high degree of the uh, of, of the gift of wisdom. Saint Thomas, following Saint Augustine, says that the 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 gift of the Holy Ghost, which makes peacemakers, is the gift of wisdom. And that gift of wisdom is the highest of the gifts of the Holy Ghost, and it perfects the highest of the theological virtues, which is charity. So having charity perfected by a high degree of the, of the, of the, uh, of the gift of the Holy Ghost known as wisdom uh, is what helps us to be peacemakers. Because, because a peacemaker is, I mean, it's not always easy to be a peacemaker. In fact, it, it usually isn't easy to be a peacemaker because to be a peacemaker you have to have not only have peace within yourself but you have to be able to have the wisdom to take two people who are at variance with each other who might be agitated and excited and 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 um uh, to use a highfalutin term twitter pated <laughs> um, and get them in a situation where where um you can you can bring peace about between them and that 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 is something which is truly heavenly to be able to do this. So remember that the the, uh, the beatitudes are they are fruits of the Holy Ghost, but not every fruit of the Holy Ghost is a beatitude. The beatitudes are even higher than that, and because uh, because of that, they are signs of, of real perfection. They are even anticipations in this life of the heavenly life. So I think so. If that's where we left off, I think. I think we've then completed uh, what we we're going to be talking about last week, and we can go on to what we're talking about this week. So tonight, um, Brother Francis, now, uh, it's a hard lecture to cover because I've been avoiding getting into his material on the Psalms because I want to keep this, I want to keep what we're doing here as much as possible um, on De Homine. Um, Brother Francis has let the course evolve slightly since he started it, and he's bringing in more and more of the Psalms. Now, next week, he's going to spend way more time, not on the Psalms, but, but back on the subject of De Homine. Um, so there's a little bit of uh, alteration there. But um, in order for me to, because in this lecture 11, Brother spent so much time on the Psalms and so little um, relatively on um, the other uh, the other subject, I'm, I'm going to have to supplement some of the material a little bit. Um, so let me explain first of all why is it that brother would even talk about this subject of the charismata uh, in a course on de homine. 
Okay. Because when we're talking about Dahomey, we're talking about, um, well, man's nature. We're talking about uh, man's powers. We're talking about man's habits. And we're talking about man's acts. Okay. Now, last year, last week, rather, I made it quite clear that uh, we had we had crossed the Rubicon and we had gone over uh, outside of the realm of mere nature and we were definitely talking about the supernatural. I mean, we had gone from um, mere natural anthropology into a study, a very clear study of um, uh, theology. I mean, there, there's just so I, I'm not going to even try to whitewash that or make it make it appear like it's something other than what it is. To coin a phrase, brother, that elephant has already sailed. Yeah, that. <laughs> There you go. <laughs> is it like a Dumbo reference? No, anyway. Oh, no. I remember uh, Hannibal and the Elephants, even though no, no, it's not I Hannibal. Get it. I get it. Okay. I, I see what you're doing. I, I was just being silly with the Dumbo thing. Um, but um, the um, w- one thing we need to, to keep in mind, though, obviously we've gotten into, into, into theology here, but still we're talking de homine because we're talking about the acts that are proper to man, the acts that man can do, right? So um, when we study that, when we studied man from the point of view of grace, uh, we've already we've we've talked about sanctifying grace a bit. We've talked uh, mostly about um, the virtues, the theological virtues, the moral virtues, and we've talked about. Then he went to the gifts of the Holy Ghost and the fruits of the Holy Ghost, the Beatitudes. Well, now we're in another realm that's related to this, and it's it's we can st- I'll give a distinction that Brother Francis did not give. Um, we're talking about a, a subject called gratuitous grace. Now he used the word um, he did use the word words gratie gratis date. Now that's in the plural. The singular is gratia. Gratis data, and that means grace freely given. Gratia, gratis date, in the plural is graces freely given. Okay. And and somebody who has a general idea of what grace is is going to say, well, wait a minute, that's a redundancy because grace is a free gift. It's a free, unmerited gift, and I will say uh, you're you're correct. That is the <laughs> that is sort of the core concept of what grace is. But um, the, the the redundancy is deliberate because there are two correlative terms in scholastic theology, and I'm going to type these out. There's uh, gratia. Actually, Jennifer Smathers has spelled the first one correctly. Gratia gratis data. So I won't bother to do that. Then there's gratia um, gratum faciens. He's consulting and his Latin dictionary. Gratia gratum faciens, or, or you might say, or in, actually in the plural, be gratia gratum facientes, which means grace, grace which makes pleasing. Um, there you see that the, the grata, meaning pleasing, it comes from the same word as grace. And by the, by the way, that's one of the things that grace does is it makes us pleasing. So the distinction between those two things, the distinction between gratia 
gratis data and gratia gratum faciens is very important. So let me say that everything that we have in us by way of habits, which is in the supernatural order, so if we're talking about sanctifying grace, which is also called justification, righteousness, holiness, it's all the same thing, that is in the realm of gratia gratum faciens, that's grace that makes us pleasing. In other words, it makes us pleasing to God. Huh? So when your soul is in the state of sanctifying grace, when you have faith, hope, and charity, when you have the supernaturally infused um, uh, moral virtues, or especially the cardinal virtues, those things make you pleasing to God. It, uh, it makes you pleasing to God by putting you into a state that's objectively pleasing to God and by helping you to perform acts that are pleasing to God. That is what grace does. It's one of the effects of grace is to make us pleasing to God. So, gratia gratum faciens is grace that's inside of you to make you holy. It benefits you. What Brother Francis spent the whole time tonight where he was talking about the de homine material is the the correlative term, the, 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 other, the other side of the, of the comparison. He was talking about gra, uh, gratiae gratis date, uh, graces freely given. And what does that mean? Well, it, it comes from our Lord telling the apostles, freely you have received... Now freely give. That's the origin of the of the expression in Latin. Um, the graces freely given are not primarily for the sanctification of the individual who has them. They are primarily for the sanctification of others. That's the distinction. That's the main. That's the major distinction. And um, we, we obviously won't be able to get into the subject very, very deeply, but because this is going to be the only time we're going to be talking about it is tonight. But note that I said the distinction is that gratia gratum faciens is primarily for the sanctification of the individual that has it, whereas gratia gratis data is primarily for the sanctification of others. There is a slight degree of overlapping so that a person who is holy can, by virtue of that, make a good example and affect others positively. And the person who is the recipient of the, of the uh, graces freely given, the gratia gratis data, can, can if he operate, cooperates with it, benefit from it himself. But that's not the primary purpose of it. So what is, what is the um, gratia... Gratis data. What are we talking about there? One definition of it is one translation of it. By the way, is gratuitous grace. And in order not to um, throw people off who are new to the whole, you know, winging around Latin terms thing, uh, I'll, I think I should just stick to so speaking of gratuitous grace now. So gratuitous grace, as distinguished from sanctifying grace. Sanctifying grace makes you holy. Gratuitous rate, grace is for the purpose of helping to make other people holy. So let's go to the definition of gratuitous grace that I linked to from the from the um, chat room there, okay. and we'll find it on CatholicCulture.org. This is a this is a dictionary of uh, Father John Harden, a Je Jesuit who died a few years ago. 
This is how he defined gratuitous grace. The free gift conferred on particular person for the persons for the salvation of others, technically called gratia gratis data, grace freely given, it is independent of the personal moral life or behavior of its possessor. To this class belong such gifts of grace as uh, charismata, and he gives a few examples of what the charismata are. We'll talk about those later. And as well as the priestly power of consecration and absolution and the hierarchical power of jurisdiction. So what does that mean? There are, we, I, I've just distinguished gratuitous grace from sanctifying grace, right? So there's one distinction. Now, we're going to set sanctifying grace aside and not talk about it anymore. <laughs> we're going to talk about gratuitous grace. Gratuitous grace has two distinctions within it. One is ordinary gratuitous grace, and the other one is extraordinary gratuitous grace. And this is a very important distinction. So let's get the ordinary gratuitous grace out of the way, because we're going to spend the rest of the time talking about the extraordinary. So the ordinary gratuitous grace, remember, the key concept, the key distinction of gratuitous grace is that it's primarily for the sanctification of others, not primarily for the sanctification of the person who has it. The ordinary one, meaning one that is going to be exercised in some ordinary fashion, not, not something that's going to be sort of every once in a while, the spirit blowing where he will kind of thing, but something that's, that's clear, that's reliable, that's, that's, that, that's going to be um, a known quantity, a measurable sort of thing, and a dependable sort of thing, is the ordinary, the ordinary graces, and these are like priestly ordination. <laughs> the power that a priest has to absolve sin and to consecrate at Mass, to say a Mass validly, that power that's contained in his priesthood is not primarily for his sanctification. It is a gratuitous grace. It's, it's not, it's, it, whether or not that priest is holy, I mean, God forbid he be in a state of mortal sin, but if he's not in the state of grace, he can still validly say Mass. Of course, it's a sacrilege, but that's another question. He can still say Mass. He can still forgive sins. He can still perform other, other priestly functions. And, and note that his saying Mass, his giving communion to people, his uh, ability to absolve in the confessional is for the sanctification of others. It restores them to sanctifying grace or increases in them sanctifying grace. That sacramental power that he has uh, is for the sanctification of others. It's a perfect example of, of a gratuitous grace. The bishop's ability to, consecrate, to to ordain priests and to consecrate other bishops is an added thing. As far as jurisdiction goes, uh, the, the, the Pope's universal jurisdiction in the Church, the Pope's uh, uh, charism of infallibility is not primarily to sanctify the Pope, it's to sanctify others. Because when he's teaching divine truth, it is not for his sanctification, it is for the sanctification of others. And that there we have an ordinary gratuitous grace. Hopefully, we're all clear on what ordinary gratuitous grace means. What does ordinary gratuitous grace mean, brother? <laughs> an ordinary gratuitous grace is a grace freely given 
for the sanctification primarily of others, not for the sanctification of the recipients. Got it. Now, uh, this and, is... and it's and it's ordinary, meaning that it's it's got some it's got it's, there's a measurable quantity to it. Not not quite. That's a bad that's a bad comparison. It's it's exercised regularly with frequency, reliably in a, in a very uh, known way. All of this extraordinary business that we're soon going to talk about, like prophecy, like the working of miracles, um, these kinds of things are extraordinary. They're called charismata, and they don't operate in that same kind of with that same kind of uh, you might say clockwork reliability. Because every time a priest says the words of consecration with you know bread from wheat and wine from grapes, he's validly confecting mass. And every time he says the right words of of of, of the of the of the formula of uh, absolution, uh, and there's the proper dispositions on the part of the of the of the penitent, he's validly absolving sin. So there's something reliable, predictable, you might even say, about it. If it weren't reliable, well, we'd be a little scared as Catholics. We, yeah, for sure. Uh, this is the uh, Dahomey classroom and chat room. We are live at MikeChurch.com. And you can tune in right there. Just uh, click the green button at the top of the page, and uh, that will take you right to the uh, to the shoutcast. You can listen live there. Uh, you can also listen live at crusadechannel.com. But the easiest way, since most of you are out and about tonight, whether on the East Coast or the West Coast or right in the middle, is to download our app in the iTunes Store or the Google Play Store for uh, for your Android phones. The app is free. Don't cost nothing. And uh, you'll find it, find it by searching for Veritas Talk Radio Network. Uh, tonight, also, immediately following the conclusion of De Homine tonight, uh, of course, we will get the audio posted up tomorrow morning, but there are, are already 10 podcast episodes of our conversations that you can listen to. Um, uh, following the broadcast tonight, which is live, uh, we will have the very latest episode. We will be uh, regaled with the very latest episode. Uh, Brother Andre Marie's Reconquest, and I heard Christopher in there uh, tinkering with it today. So I know that Sister Maria Philomena is your special guest tonight, and I can't wait to hear it. Great. Yes, she is. Um, this, one's, this one's called, it's episode 74, and it's called The Holy Angels. And as you say, Sister Maria Philomena is the guest. We had a we had a wonderful conversation about angels, and it's going to answer that that. That ancient time time honored question that's been teasing brilliant minds for centuries: How many angels can dance on the head of a pin? <laughs> so, <laughs> and also, there's also another uh, uh, trivial matter in there in in, in this episode of uh, Reconquest tonight. And since I, I did hear it being mixed and put together, I can tell you that I'm not sure that this is the first time it's happened. But I am quoted tonight in absentia. See if you can identify the Mike Churchill quote. Call me tomorrow morning on the Crusade Journal, on the Crusade Channel during my show, and uh, I will be happy to award you a very free, uh, don't cost nothing, charms, uh, charms blow pop. There you go. So I, so I, 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 I committed a Mike Churchism. Is that what you're saying? Well, no, you quoted me. You, 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 you directly quoted me. I heard you. Okay, yeah, <laughs> I, 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 I vaguely remember that, but uh, I'm, I mean, your name is frequently on my lips, Mike. I mean, so I don't always remember that I've said it. It's so uh, ritual. 
Well, uh, since you are you, brother Andre or Marie, uh, it's a rare instance when my name is on someone else's lips and four-letter words are not in front of that name. So I rest assured that that's the case. Now, brother, I want to go back to something that you said just a moment ago because uh, I am I'm hopeful and prayerful that we uh, have some that are uh, on the verge of of conversion here and are listening or eavesdropping out there. There may be people that go, well, this is just a bunch of Catholic rabble here. I don't understand how, how do you consecrate a pair of hands? Um, this is one of the uh, most, I think, one of the most solemn and attractive parts about Catholicism that we do have that ordinary to turn to, that priest, who does, I mean, if I buy a rosary from Sister uh, uh, Maria Rosaria, uh, even though I know you have a priest on resident, I'm going to assume that uh, I should go ahead and get it blessed myself. I bring it to a priest, to my ordinary, uh, to, to my ordinary, because he has consecrated hands. He can say a particular prayer over, one that's been approved, and that adds special graces to that religious artifact that you can use to pray. Now, Somebody's going to say, well, do you have to have? No, of course, you, I can. Uh, J- uh, James Foley, the uh, photographer who was, uh, who was executed by ISIS. I'm sure you know James Foley's work. Uh, he, He's from New Hampshire. Yeah, he is. That's right. He went to Marquette. Uh, he said when the first time that he was captured that what kept him alive was the grace of Our Lady, that he was saying rosaries by counting on his knuckles, on his, on his, on his hand. Yeah. yeah, yeah. So, but but the special graces that come from uh, from being a priest with those consecrated hands, uh, they can consecrate the bread and the wine. They can do the the the, the holy water. You know, you say the incantation over the holy water, and you get the holy water. Uh, the artifact that I just mentioned. This is a pretty serious, uh, a pretty a, a pretty serious deal here. Don't poo poo this, folks. Um, and, and, and there were reasons for that. Maybe in another episode you could get into, or maybe you could do an, an episode of Reconquest on consecrated hands and, and, and such, brother. Yeah. Well, yeah, I mean, which, which, which cuts right to the Catholic doctrine of the priesthood. It would. It would. I think it would be a great episode. I think people would enjoy it. Yeah, yeah. Well, uh, uh, I'm, I'm trying to line up. By, by the way, I, I, I don't want to do too much commercial stuff here, but I just threw up a... Um, a link. I just threw up two links in succession, but one of them I linked to a poll. It's not exactly a poll, but it's a feedback form that I threw up on Reconquest.net. And as soon as I threw it up, some somebody responded like within ten minutes <laughs> or five minutes of my putting it up. Um, and then two other people came in like fairly close on his heels and gave me some very good feedback. I'm looking for feedback from people, you know, what do you like, what don't you like, uh, what, what are you interested in hearing, you know, who are your favorite guests, who are your suggested future guests, um, things like that. And it's, uh, it's, uh, it's, it's a re- re- Reconquest listener feedback form, um, and I've got it on Reconquest.net. The link's in the chat room. If you're, not, if you're listening, just go to Reconquest.net. Look at that form and, and give me your feedback. I'm, I, I am... I am. I don't want to be the millennial here, like constantly looking for feedback and, and affirmation. <laughs> uh, I really deal. want to know how to make the show better and what suggestions I might get from listeners and what you what the listeners are interested. I mean, obviously, I don't have a call in show like you do, Mike, so I really don't know what what people think. Wait a minute. Except, I, I have a call in show. When did that begin? Well, 
You know, I heard that you do. Uh, I heard about this free phone Friday thing. Yeah, well, it actually requires people to call to have a call-in show. So, <laughs> well, you let me just say this: you have more direct contact with your <laughs> with your listeners than I do. Um, but but anyway, so there it is. Um, I'm trying to line up some future guests, some new new people, and. Um, Anyway, um, commercial, I guess, is over, and we should get back to the, to the material. The sort, the, so, so now we're going to talk about the extraordinary gratuitous graces. Okay. As, as distinguished from the ordinary gratuitous graces, like priesthood, the, the infallibility of the Pope, the ability to say Mass and hear confessions and all that stuff. So now the extraordinary ones, I'm going to read the passage. I just threw up a link to it. And if you look at that link in the chat room, it'll take you to drbo.org where, where you'll see it highlighted. I, I made it easy for you. So you'll see it all nice and highlighted. Now there are, the, so this is 1 Corinthians chapter 12. I'm quoting from verse 4 to about 12. Now, there are diversities of graces, but the same Spirit, and there are diversities of ministries, but the same Lord, and there are diversities of operations, but the same God who worketh all in all. And the manifestation of the Spirit is given to every man unto profit. Now, here's where we get the list. To one indeed by the Spirit is given the word of wisdom, and to another the word of knowledge, according to the same Spirit, to another faith in the same Spirit, to another, the grace of healing in one spirit. To another, the working of miracles. To another, prophecy. To another, the discerning of spirits. To another, diverse kinds of tongues. To another, the interpretation of speeches. Now that ends the list. But then he continues, But all these things, one and the same spirit worketh, dividing to every one according as he will. For as the body is one, and hath many members, and all the members of the body, whereas they are many, yet are one body, so also is Christ. Now, these are the extraordinary gratuitous graces. And there is another name for them. There are a couple of other names for them. One is Greek, the Greek name, which is the charismata. And that's kind of a consecrated phrase. Even in the Latin church, even we, we Latins, we, we, we Occidental Romans, <laughs> use the Greek word for these things, the charismata. It comes from the Greek word akaris, which is like a loving gift of God. Um, and in fact, even in the church's Latin hymns, we use the Greek word charismata, which is, which is in the plural. So it's charisms, plural in Greek. So the, the, these are the charisms. They're also called, by an extension of the same um, the same Greek origin. They're called the charismatic gifts. And I think because of the way that this term is used, I have to say a little bit something about what some people have probably already instantly thought of when I said, as soon as I said charismatic. They, some of them may have gone, uh-oh, or oh, that? <laughs> because you may have heard of the charismatic movement, charismatic masses, charismatic healing, prayer sessions, and things like this. The the reason that the, there is a there is a clear distinction between the charismatic movement and the charismatic um, gifts, 
but uh, but there is a relationship, and the relationship. I, I'm come. This is coming from somebody who's no fan of the charismatic movement, and I have theological reasons why. But the charismatic movement is called this because of their heavy emphasis on the charismatic gifts. So they put heavy emphasis, for instance, on speaking in tongues. And for those who don't know what the charismatic movement is, maybe perhaps you have a Protestant background. Um, if you've ever heard of Pentecostalism within the Protestant context, this is basically uh, imported into Catholicism. It's called the charismatic movement. In fact, some people call it Catholic Pentecostalism. But it's basically, in fact, it was directly born out of Pentecostalism. Some Catholics hooked up with Protestant Pentecostals at Duquesne University, and they had the so-called, they called the Duquesne Blessing. And from there, um, the, at, the, at that point, at there, in, in the 1960s, the charismatic movement uh, was born, and it spread uh, from the United States all over the world. Um, so it's called that because of their heavy emphasis on these particular gifts, especially, especially. Was, I guess it's most manifested in speaking in tongues. But there, there are others things that they that they manifest that are that are extraordinary. Now, what we would say is that it's it's. I mean, the ki kindest thing that I can say, and I have no intention of being unkind. The kindest thing that I can say about the charismatic movement is that 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 they erroneously emphasize the the gratu the extraordinary gratuitous graces known as the charismatic gifts, as if those things were the constituent parts of holiness, as if those things were what makes you holy. They're not. They're not even indications that you're holy. They are primarily for the sanctification of other people. So if they're not sanctifying other people, there's no point to them. And the church for, I mean, throughout her history has not put such emphasis on these gifts as if every one of the faithful is supposed to be going around practicing these things, speaking in tongues and uh, uh, being able to interpret tongues and prophesying and all these things. Not to say that it's not possible, uh, but these gifts certainly have a place, but it's not the place that the charismatics uh, assigned them. Um, now, uh, enough of controversy there, I, but I just I felt obliged to make that point because um, uh, because the the idea is that this this uh, this this uh, movement is is fairly well known. And I don't want you to think that the charismatic gifts, my speaking of them, necessarily means I'm using the same term. I'm using the term in the same sense in which charismatics use it. There's something similar, but obviously there's a grave difference in, in uh, approach. Um, okay, so we are um, now going to go through these things one by one. Let me say that some of these charismatic gifts, theologians are seriously... Um, uh, have have a have a rather disparate range of opinions as to what exactly they're constituted in. We know what it means for a priest to consecrate at mass or for a priest to absolve from sin. We don't exactly know the full scope of what is the word of wisdom 
versus the with the word of knowledge, which these are the first two of the charismata. What exactly is the scope of what he's calling faith here? And what's uh, now some of them are simple. So what I'm going to do is I'm going to ch check off the simplest ones, the grace of healing. <clears throat> okay, this is number four on the list. The grace of healing is really, really easy. That's where that, that that's where the person who has the grace is able to heal other persons of their bodily infirmities. So this is an extraordinary charismatic grace is an extraordinary grace freely given by which the person who has it can heal bodily infirmities. So when Jesus told the apostles to go out and to heal the sick and to cast out demons, uh, the, that healing the sick, that's what we're talking about here. So when St. Peter tells the St. Peter and St. John are at the, at the beautiful gate of the temple and there's a crippled man out there begging and he's asking them if he can have some gold or silver. St. Peter says, gold or silver, I have not, but what I have, I give to you in the name of Jesus. Stand up and walk. And the man stood up and walked. He was healed. That is what we're talking about with the grace of healing. Now, St. Peter's ability to do this didn't mean that St. Peter was necessarily holy, although most theologians say God's normally going to work a, a miracle like this through somebody who is holy, because he certainly doesn't want to give us the impression that that the true religion is represented in by by bums, right? So Saint Peter having the ability to do this, it's a testimony. Obviously, it's an act of mercy for this man to be healed. But over and above that, this helped the man to receive the gift of faith, because he was, after all, healed in the name of Jesus. And he's jumping around, dancing, practically, in the temple. Um, he was leaping for joy in the temple, running around, telling everybody what had just happened, and it was done in the name of Jesus. So that, the intention there is that there, St. Peter isn't sanctifying himself, he's sanctifying other people, right? The man who got healed, and the, the people who witnessed the miracle, this is how the faith is spread. And these charismatic gifts were much more important in the early church as a testimony to the truth of this newfounded religion, huh? Mm -hmm. So that's the grace of healing. Any bodily healing um, uh, would count for that. The working of miracles, by the way, the grace of healing is a subset of the working of miracles, but it's sort of specialized. The working of miracles is is much much broader, you know. So you know, you have um, you had miracles all throughout. The, uh, the 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 Acts of the Apostles, right? St. Paul gets bit by a serpent in, in Malta. They were shipwrecked on Malta, and, and, and a poisonous serpent leapt out of the wood that he was collecting to build a fire and bit him, and the Maltese are looking at him like, oh, dude, you're dead, man. They're waiting for his arm to bloat up and for him to die in a, a, a horrible death, and he didn't. Um, so stupid as they were, as pagans, they started to worship him and, and, and Barnabas, who were together at the time. One was Mercury and one was Zeus. Barnabas was taller, so they made him Zeus. And um, St. Paul started to preach to them and say, no, 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 don't, don't do this. We're, we're just men. But we did this, in, you know, this miracle happened in the name of Christ. So th that's, that's the conversion of Malta. And by the way, the Maltese are very aware that St. Paul is their apostle. So you had miracles like this all throughout the early church, people being healed, people being, um, you know, uh, 
all, all sorts of miracles happening in order to testify to the truth of the, of the religion. In other words, those miracles are assigned to the truth of the religion, and it sanctifies those who see it because it helps them to get the grace of faith. So that's a pretty straightforward one, too. The gift of prophecy as well is fairly straightforward. It's going to have different manifestations, but most often what the gift of prophecy is going to be involved with is the ability of the person who has it to foretell future contingent events that he would have absolutely no, no, zero zip nada way of knowing um, by any natural means. So you see this in the early church, in the Acts of the Apostles. There were various people who were called prophets and who prophesied, for instance, that there was going to be a big famine. It was prophesied and it came to pass. Um, this is recorded in the Acts of the Apostles. So there are, there are examples of that kind of thing throughout the history of the church, where uh, by the, this extraordinary grace freely given, this gratuitous grace, somebody is able to prophesy a future event that um, um, was unknown, or, or in the case of, say, Joan of Arc. Okay. Remember, Joan of Arc told the Dauphin of a secret vow that he had made that he had not told a soul about. And when St. Joan of Arc told him that she knew about the vow that he had made and, and told him what it was, and she, she insisted on speaking to him in private, he was amazed, and this he therefore knew that this woman was from God because she was a prophetess. So there, there, is, a, there, there is a perfect example of prophecy. Uh, the, the, somebody's asked a question about uh, discernment of spirits. Um, oh, wait, okay. Sorry, there's a back and forth there that I don't want to quite get into at this point. But um, the discernment of spirits is the next one. And the discernment of spirits is the ability to say whether what's motivating a person in this particular instance is the good spirit, in other words, the Holy Ghost, uh, an evil spirit, a demon, or just some natural, quote-unquote, spirit, just some, some natural phenomenon. And this is, this is a kind of, it's, it's, it's an extraordinary grace freely given. Uh, it's not just a natural prudence. It's not just a natural sort of gift of discernment. Some people, some people are just very good at reading the situation. It's not that kind of natural shrewdness or even just a natural shrewdness that's been raised to the level of grace by, by sanctity. It's, it's, this is something that comes directly from God to know something that's not ordinarily discernible. So the person has revealed to him this is something that's demonically motivated, or, or, or no, this is from the Holy Ghost. Uh, sometimes it's so, it's so not clear. I mean, there have been saints who are fooled, about um, about pe uh, people who were charlatans thinking that this person who uh, was so holy when the person was actually possessed um, or was doing something by diabolical power. So there you have the gift of discernment of spirits. This is the um, Dahomene Lecture Classroom. Uh, we are live tonight. It is uh, Wednesday, the 3rd of May, 2017. We are discussing Dahomene Lecture number uh, 11. If you missed the previous 10 discussions, you can uh, find them all free of charge. Don't cost nothing. 
at my website at mikechurch.com. Click the Catholicism menu button and then uh, Philosophia Perennis. And you can listen to all of our discussions about each and every lecture thus far. Tomorrow's will be, uh, today's will be posted sometime tomorrow. If you'd like to actually take the course, well then uh, mouse on over to Catholicism.org and uh, you'll find the course there as an MP3 download or as CDs if you prefer the CDs. Uh, if you send Brother a, an email, he's hiding in place, plain sight. He's BAM, uh, B-A-M at Catholicism.org. Tell him you heard about Dahomene or Philosophia Perennis on the Crusade channel, and uh, Brother will uh, get you a discount coupon code to save you uh, uh, a couple shekels there uh, on, on the purchase of the uh, download. Uh, and we encourage all of you to, especially if you are the um, if if you are the inquisitive type and you think you know everything, then you most certainly need some philosophy of Pudenis because trust me, if you haven't taken philosophy of Pudenis, you don't know everything. Uh, we are here every Wednesday night at six, and you can listen to a rebroadcast of Brother Show Reconquest Monday, Tuesday, Thursday, and Friday from six to eight p.m. right here on the Crusade Channel, of course. If you become a member of our little endeavor at crusadechannel.com, become a Founders Pass member, you can download each and every one of Brother Andre and Marie's uh, episodes of Reconquest and, of course, all the other shows uh, that we keep uh, uh, behind the membership wall there, including the Mike Church Show, which goes all the way back to November the 15th of, of two, uh, November the 11th of 2015. It's all on our site at crusadechannel.com. Com. Please tell a friend about our weekly lectures here. They're free, and you can also pop in the chat room anytime you like and uh, ask your questions if you have any questions. Brother? Okay, great. So um, we're, at the, we're at speaking with tongues right now. Um, and don't worry, I'm not, going to, uh, I'm not going to give a sample of it. Um, <laughs> Please <never> don't. <laughs> Sp speaking with tongues is, it is a controversial subject. In modern times, only really because of the charismatic movement. Um, but I, but I can also say that even if you go, but actually, wait, it's a controversial subject really because of the charismatic movement. That's not to say that there weren't various opinions on it in times past. I will tell you what is the common opinion as to what most often is the manifestation of speaking in tongues, and even this has some variety within it. But the prime example of speaking with tongues is found in, the, in that first outpouring of the Holy Spirit, which is Pentecost Day, which is, which is related in chapter 2 of the Acts of the Apostles. And in, in, in that chapter, we get the story of Pentecost, which we're going to celebrate a few weeks from now, the, the, the Feast of Pentecost. We're going to have Pentecost Sunday coming our way soon. Um, and Pentecost Sunday uh, is the celebration of the anniversary of, of that first coming down of the Holy Ghost. And at that point, the apostles, who were all um, Ga Galileans, were in Jerusalem. And there were many, many people, because uh, um, the, the Feast of Pentecost, like the Pasch, uh, or pa Passover, Pesach, I guess is the Hebrew word, and... Um, the Feast of Tabernacles was one of the three Jewish feasts of presentation, meaning that all bar mitzvahed men had to present themselves at the temple in Jerusalem to fulfill their obligations as Jewish men. Now, the women that went 
were going out of piety. They didn't have an obligation. It was the Jewish men who were bar mitzvahed, which literally means sons of the law. As now sons of the law, they were obliged to present themselves at the temple for those three festivals, those so, three particular festivals of the Feast of Tabernacles. Uh, no, or is it the Feast of the Dedication? No, Feast of Tabernacles, Feast of Pentecost, Feast of uh, uh, Passover. Passover, of course, Pentecost is 50 days from Passover. That's what the word means. And in because you had all of these Jews in Jerusalem at the time for the feast, there was a huge crowd. But there was more than that. There was more than just the Jews that were there for the feast. There were the proselytes as well. And what's a proselyte? This is a non-Jew, an ethnic non-Jew, who takes upon himself either all or part of the observance of the Jewish law. Either he becomes a proselyte of the gate, which is a, a person who just adopts the Noahide laws and that's it, and a few other customs, or he becomes a full-fledged Jew and he adopts circumcision, follows all the kosher laws, and lives just like all the Jews does, just like all the Jews do, and is no longer considered Gentile. So you had those guys too in Rome, lots of them, and they're from different places, um, and they obviously had their own different languages, and they didn't all speak the Galilean dialect. And remember, at the Pentecost event, they're marveling, how is it that we people from um, all these different places can understand what these Galileans are saying? Yeah, it's a uh, uh, blessed Anne Catherine Emmerich describes that just just in such great detail, all that in one of her uh, 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 mystical visions, of course. Uh, you are free to say that, well, those have never been approved. Well, they haven't. Even if they're wrong, it's still cool to get a visual on how that looked, brother. Yeah. And how. Yeah. And, 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 yeah I'm not I'm not too familiar with their works, but they're they're fine. I mean, they, they, they're not. It's not heresy. Now, brother, a quick question. So we get the term proselytize from these proselytes? Well, I, I think we get the term proselytized probably from the Greek from the Greek word uh, that was used for them. Um, I don't I'm just have the curious. Linguistic stuff down pat okay. to be able to say exactly where we got it, but yeah, I mean, proselytize has a negative connotation in English, which is kind of stupid. But but a proselyte <laughs> was somebody who had been proselytized uh, by the Jews, uh, and and you have to strip it of any any silly modern negative connotations. But yeah, it's the same word. Same word, okay. Same. Um, so the, um, the, these people spoke all these different languages, and here the apostles are preaching, and they're preaching in the Galilean dialect, and all these people are hearing it in their own, in their own languages. So that's one way it's manifested. The preacher speaks in his own language, and he's understood in a multitude of different languages by the hearers, and that's clearly miraculous. Sure is. Now, another way that it's manifested is, and this happened in the life of St. Francis Xavier, it happened in the life of St. Um, Vincent Ferrar. Of St. Vincent Ferrer, that's right, the Dominican. Lots of preachers going to different places. You might St. Francis Xavier was an educated man, but he didn't, go, he didn't study all sorts of Oriental languages. before. This man was going from uh, uh, Japan to India to all. And, and when you say India, you're not talking about one language. India didn't have one language until the English gave them one language, English. Uh, it's the largest, largest English speaking country in the world. <laughs> 90 but, seconds, brother. 90 seconds. Yeah. 
90 seconds? 90 seconds. Time flies when you're having smart fun. Oh, my goodness. Well, I don't know, quite know what to say in 90 seconds, except that speaking... Okay, so let's just wind down with speaking in tongues. One way to manifest it is that the preacher is given an infused knowledge of languages that he really doesn't otherwise know. So St. Francis Xavier was preaching in languages that he didn't know. He couldn't have gone back and repeated what he said. He knew what he wanted to say, and he went to say it in his own language, and it came out in the language of his hearers. So that's... That's one um, manifestation of speaking in tongues. But th there are some other su subtle, fairly subtle points that we don't can't cover in however many seconds are left. Now, brother, is there also, because the next one in, uh, from St. Paul is interpretation of speeches. So could uh, St. Vincent Ferrer, for example, speak in Spanish, but those that were there in France have, or in Portugal, could they have heard their, well, their, their, that, that their wouldn't tongue? so much be no, no. That wouldn't be interpretation of speeches meant if if you're there and somebody's speaking in tongues, you can understand him. Oh. This is complicated because it had to do with the situation of what was going on in Corinth at the time. Okay, and brother, it, uh, you're, we're going to have to wrap it up there, folks. Thank you for being with us tonight. Download this episode tomorrow at mikechurch.com. Mike Church for Brother Andre Maurice saying so long. Keep it tuned right here to the Crusade Channel, King Size Truth from Radio Size Speakers.